Gang, we have a Code 13. We are your commanding officers. I'm Mariah. And I'm Caroline. And welcome to our monthly bonus episode on the Avengers. Yeah! Uh, so, so Mariah, let's get down to business. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I forgot we do that in these episodes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> How's your month been, you know? Oh, you know, <laughs> I think I think the month of April is going to be a good one. Good. Me too. I hope. We're recording this at the beginning of the month, and this will likely drop at the end of the month. Yeah. So, um, we'll see. We don't I'll, know. We'll find I'll out. I'll let you guys know if if April sucked. <laughs> You'll know. You'll know by the by the time <laughs> by the time I finish editing this, we'll already have like three episodes in April. So, <laughs> all right, let's do it. All right. Now let's get down to business. So, Caroline, have you seen this movie before? I have. I actually saw this one in theaters, and I only remember that I saw it in theaters because the, like, shawarma part is so ingrained in my brain. Um, But literally nothing else (laughs) stuck. (laughs) I remember, like, very iconic lines, but nothing else. (laughs) Got it. Have you? Have you seen this before? <laughs> this was actually the first MCU movie I ever saw. Wow. I, I went with a bunch of friends for one of their birthdays, and I was instantly drawn in. I went back and rented all of the DVDs back when <laughs> That's What You Did uh, for the other movies, and me and Dad watched them all like in one weekend. And from then on, every time a new one would come out, we'd, we'd go see it in theaters. <laughs> Aw, I love it. This is a very nostalgic one, then. Yes. Wonderful. And so I think for this one, since it is, like, it's it's the one that, like, it's the first crossover, yeah. really. Yeah. I, I think we're going to drop this episode in the main feed as well. Yeah. To kind of entice people. This is what we're doing over here in the paid subscription. Yeah. Should I read our little spiel, then? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so... Uh, for those of you who haven't listened to a bonus episode before because it hasn't been available to you, um, our monthly bonus episodes go a little bit differently than our usual episodes. For one, most of the time, if you're listening to these, that means you're in our exclusive little Spotify for Podcasters club. Um, so that means you get all kinds of cool content. So uh, hopefully you will uh, want to do that some more. So welcome. <laughs> <laughs> In these bonus episodes, there is a little bit less structure, a little more room to go on tangents because, you know, we all know what you really pay for these for. So we are covering all of the MCU movies month by month in release order. So we hope you enjoy it. And um, as always, please give us feedback on these episodes because we do want to make content that you want to listen to as well as content that's fun for us to make. So, (laughs) yeah. So let's get into it. We'll start us off with some fun facts. Yes. So produced by Marvel Studios and distributed by Walt Disney Studios Motion Motion Pictures, it is the sixth film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Cool. It was written and directed by Joss Whedon. There's going to be a lot of Joss talk. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all already know how we feel about him. (laughs) Yeah. He is not the Whedon brother that we like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there are no Joss stands in this house. 
So ideas for a film based on the Avengers began in 2003 with Avi Arad, the CEO of Marvel Studios, first announcing plans to develop the film in April 2005 after Marvel Enterprises declared independence by allying with Merrill Lynch to produce a slate of films that would be distributed by Paramount Pictures. Marvel discussed their plans in a brief presentation to Wall Street analysts. The studio's intention was to release individual films for the main characters to establish their identities and familiarize audiences with them before merging the characters together in a crossover film. Screenwriter Zach Penn, who wrote The Incredible Hulk, became attached to the film in 2006 and was hired by Marvel Studios to write the film in 2007. In the wake of the 2007-2008 Writers Guild of America strike, Marvel negotiated with the Writers Guild of America to ensure that it could create films based on its comic book counterparts, including Captain America, Ant-Man, and the Avengers. Wow. After the successful release of Iron Man in May 2008, the company set a July 2011 release date for the Avengers. In September 2008, Marvel Studios reached an agreement with Paramount, an extension of a previous partnership which gave the company distribution rights for five future Marvel films. Wow. Whedon was brought on board in April 2010 and rewrote the original screenplay by Zach Penn. Production began in April 2011 in Albuquerque, New Mexico, before moving to Cleveland, Ohio in August and New York City in September. In July 2009, screenwriter Zach Penn talked about the crossover process, stating, My job is to kind of shuttle between the different movies and make sure that finally we're mimicking that comic book structure where all of these movies are connected. There's just a board that tracks, here's where everything that happened in this movie overlaps with that movie. I'm pushing them to do as many animatics as possible to animate the movie, to draw boards so that we're all working off the same visual ideas. But the the exigencies is what I'm going to say. Okay. Of production. Take first priority. (laughs) I have no idea what that means. (laughs) Nope. Me neither. That is why we are not screenwriters. (laughs) By April 2010, Joss Whedon was close to completing a deal to direct the film and to rework Penn's script, and was officially announced in July 2010. On the hiring, Arad stated, My personal opinion is that Joss will do a fantastic job. He loves these characters and is a fantastic writer. It's part of his life, so you know he's going to protect it. I expect someone like him is going to make the script even better. Feige added, I've known Joss for many years. We were looking for the right thing, and he came in and met on it. We wanted to find a director that's on the verge of doing something great, as we think Joss is. Whedon stated at the 2010 San Diego Comic-Con International that what drew him to the film is that he loves how, quote, these people shouldn't be in the same room, let alone on the same team, and that is the definition of family. Is it that? (laughs) Um... I don't know about that one. <laughs> I wonder if Jed has a different definition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like a like a flattering description. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is the part, this is, there's a lot of like hero worship of Joss in a lot of these fun facts, but some of these quotes when I was pulling them, I was like, you bitch! Oh my god, you bitch! <laughs> so, here's one of those, like, big um, you bitch. excerpts that I, that I said you bitch for. 
When Whedon received Penn's draft, he told Feige he felt the studio did not, quote, have anything, and they should, quote, pretend this draft never happened. What? Part of Whedon's issue was the lack of character connections in Penn's draft, which necessitated Whedon to begin, quote, at square one. Whedon went on to write a five-page treatment of his plan for the film and created the taglines, tagline, Avengers, Some Assembly Required, riffing on the Avengers Assemble slogan from the comic books. The one that you hated? <laughs> yeah, the one that I hated. I'm like, that sounds so stupid. <laughs> I liked it, but because it sounds stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Marvel quickly began working to sign Whedon to write and direct, only stipulating that he include the Avengers against Loki, a battle among the heroes in the middle, a battle against the villains at the end, and he get the film done for its May 2012 release. The script would go through, quote, a lot of insane iterations of what might be, according to Whedon. Whedon explained that there was a point when it was not certain Johansson would star in the film, so he wrote a huge bunch of pages starring the Wasp and wanted Zoe Deschanel to play the character. This was another big you bitch moment, okay? Okay. He also was, quote, worried that one British character actor, meaning Tom Hiddleston, was not enough to take on Earth's Mightiest Heroes and that we'd feel like we were rooting for the overdog, so I wrote a huge draft with Ezekiel Stain, Obadiah Stain's son, in it. What? <laughs> he the the way that the way that that is worded that one British character actor was not enough to take on Earth's Mightiest Heroes. But I like basically saying that like Tom, that Tom wasn't up for the job. That's so fucked up. Like first of all, then cast somebody else. Second of all, he what? <laughs> Why would you hire somebody that you don't think is like good enough? Also, he's a fantastic actor, but that's a different point. He entirely. is, and he pulls it off. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's also like if you think that it this particular character, let's let's be generous and say that he was talking about the character. Okay. If you think that this one particular character isn't enough to be that much of a threat then write him so that he is literally you are the writer (laughs) (laughs) it's your story my dude (laughs) talk about a self-own jesus what an asshole i hate him and it's like that was that was one of marvel's only stipulations was that they stick with loki as the villain and wow. he was like, mm, but I'm not sure. Write it better. Like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that story. Then make it a better story. God. <laughs> all right. Continuing. <laughs> Once all of the actors were, quote, locked in place, the movie stayed on mission. Whedon would ultimately share final screenplay credit with Penn, though Whedon noted he fought for sole credit and was, quote, very upset about it. Penn felt the two, quote, could have collaborated more, but that was not his choice. He wanted to do it his way, and I respect that. (laughs) Class act, Mr. Penn. Good job. Good on you. We stand Zach Penn in this house. Yes. And Zach Penn only. <laughs> we could have had a more collaborative process, but you know, 
he's an asshole, so... <laughs> God. He's like, no skin off my back, man. Literally. For Joss to be like, well, I wanted to be given soul credit. You didn't write the original script. <laughs> you rewrote it. But it was somebody else's idea first. <laughs> what? Yeah, like, from what I gather, the idea... Like, the story beats that Joss had to write around, the ones that Marvel gave him the stipulations for, Yeah, that was what they liked from Zack's script. That's what it seems that's, like. That's what they liked from his original screenplay. Yeah. So that's his story. You are fleshing it out more, but you did not solely write this story. Right. Just by, by nature... Like, just by matter of fact, like, you... It's... That's just how it works. <laughs> wow. I hate him. But but in his mind, he had to start at square one, so... <laughs> what a bitch. <laughs> what a bitch. <laughs> um, so, executive producer John Favreau stated that he would not direct the film, but, quote, would definitely have input and a say. Favreau also expressed concerns, stating, It's going to be hard because I was so involved in creating the world of Iron Man, and Iron Man is very much a tech-based hero, and then with the Avengers, you're going to be introducing some supernatural aspects because of Thor. Mixing the two of those works very well in the comic books, but it's going to take a lot of thoughtfulness to make that all work and not blow the reality that we've created. I mean, didn't they already cover that in the Thor movie, though? I think maybe at that point, the Thor movie hadn't... It was in, like, pre-production. Okay, okay. I was like, they, like, they... It is science. <laughs> Ish. Yeah. <laughs> and another... We have a couple more about that. At first, the original screenwriter, the original screenwriter, Zach Penn, tried to reduce Thor's role in the script because he had doubts about the character's ability to succeed on film, but he changed his mind once Hemsworth was cast as Thor. Aww. See, now that's a screenwriter that has faith in his actors. Exactly. In January 2010, Marvel Studios' chief, Kevin Feige, was asked if it would be difficult to meld the fantasy of Thor with the high-tech science fiction in Iron Man and the Avengers. No, he said, because we're doing the Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, Walt Simonson, J. Michael Straczynski Thor. We're not doing the blow the dust off the old Norse book in your library Thor. And in the Thor of the Marvel Universe, there's a race called the Asgardians. And we're linked through this tree of life that we're unaware of. It's real science, but we don't know about it yet. The Thor movie is about teaching people that. Yeah. We're, uh, we're on the same wavelength. I get them. <laughs> you and Kevin... We're there. You and Kevin are of the same mind. I've always said that. I got you, Kev. I've always said that. You know Kevin Feige? He's just like my best friend. <laughs> I'm sorry. He reminds me so much of her. <laughs> I I just hit my the shelf in here again. I'm sorry. To all, for every time that I have hit the shelf while I'm recording and it bangs around the microphone, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just so much like Kevin Feige. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Feige always banging things around. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston revealed in an interview with The Guardian that the code name for the film early in its production was Group Hug. Aw. That's cute. <laughs> 
Um, I totally thought that this fun fact was fake, um, and I didn't cross-reference it, but you'll see why I, I think it's real. There were very few times that everyone was in town at once, but on one night when they were, Chris Evans sent them all a text message reading, Assemble, prompting a night out on the town, and Clark Gregg has stated that this is his favorite text message that he has ever received. Aww. <laughs> I love I it. I want to believe that's real so bad. Yeah. You know what? If Clark says it's real, I believe him. I believe him. I believe anything Clark says. Are you calling Clark Gregg a liar? Yeah. Wait. I don't think so. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> the film contains more than 2,200 visual effects shots completed by 14 companies. Wow. Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, Weeda Digital, Scanline VFX, Hydraulics, Fuel VFX, Evil Eye Pictures, Luma Pictures, Cantina Creative, Trickster, Modus FX, Whiskey Tree, Digital Domain, The Third Floor, and Method Design. Jesus. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) ILM was the lead vendor and shared responsibility for creating many of the film's key effects, including the Helicarrier, the New York Cityscape, Digital Body Doubles, Iron Man, and the Hulk. Um, do we know why they had so many companies do it? I mean, were they just like, were they just like, like subcontracting and subcontracting and subcontracting? I think it might have been, this is just like my personal theory on it. It was probably just that there were so many visual effects that they, they needed that many people on it. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot. (laughs) It is a hell of a lot. I wonder if they still do that today or if... Because I know there's there's issues now with Marvel's VFX creators um, saying that they're overworked. Mm. And so yeah. I wonder if they should start doing that again. Just just send it out to all... To 14 different companies. Yeah, for sure. They probably don't now because they're so worried about everything being secret all the time. Yeah, yeah. The Pentagon said they, quote couldn't reconcile the unreality of S.H.I.E.L.D. and our place in it. To elaborate, it's left ambiguous as to whether S.H.I.E.L.D. is a national or international agency, and the Pentagon didn't like the implication that the U.S. military would answer to anyone but the U.S. government. (laughs) (laughs) And so the Pentagon thus declined involvement in this movie. However, the U.S. Army did get involved. Of course. As they do. Yeah. They were like, we gotta be the heroes. Even though they kind of (laughs) weren't. And last one before we get into the meat of the movie. The film had always intended to use Loki as its villain, but early discussion had considered using Red Skull. Which is like a conflicting fun fact because was it always Loki or wasn't it always Loki? Right, yeah. If you considered using the Red Skull, then it wasn't always. Maybe... It wasn't always intended. Maybe that meant like... (laughs) In in initial like storyboarding, they were like, "Hmm, Loki or Red Skull," and then they settled on Loki, and then from then on, it was Loki. You know, maybe so. And so by the time Joss Whedon got it, they were like, "No, it's fucking Loki. We already went over this. <laughs> <laughs> He's way hotter." <laughs> throw out, 
throw out your draft about Ezekiel Stain. We are not introducing <laughs> a whole new character in this crossover movie. No, there's too many characters already. <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, those were lovely. <laughs> All right, Act One. What's your first note? Okay, so so first thing that I was thinking of was in the like intro where like there's the the voiceover. Um, talking about the Tesseract and Loki and the Shatari, I was like, was that Thanos? And then later, <laughs> it was. <laughs> that was that was an interesting little tidbit, little Easter egg that wouldn't come to light yeah. for many years after. So good on them. Many years. That was really that was amazing. <laughs> it was. It was. That like they planned that out from the beginning. That's crazy. It it's truly insane. Like Taylor Swift levels of planning shit out. For real. The I you know, this might this might be even more intense than Taylor Swift, honestly. Not to not to disrespect the goddess of the universe. Yeah, this is like years and years and years. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> I really liked the quote. Until such time as the world ends, we will act as though it intends to spin on. I wrote that too. Optimist oh Fury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make that my new mantra. Yeah. That's, I, that's, I, I was like, that's such a good, um, that's a really good mantra to have, especially for like the state of the world as it is right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Coulson came in. That was fantastic. Obviously, we love Coulson. Obviously, he played a really big role in this movie. I'm, I was yeah. very excited to watch it again. Okay, so uh, when Loki enters, um, you know, we Hawkeye does explains to Fury that like, oh, it's a door. It can open from the other side too, um, and. Okay, okay. So this is the part that's important to me, is um, when Loki does finally come through and he, uh, you know, he's being very sexy, serving face and all that. And then I was just like, <laughs> Loki, he ne- <laughs> Loki needs a goddamn nap. He had the yeah. dark circles under his eyes. Insane. <laughs> yes. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. I've got a few um, fun facts and notes before Loki comes in. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to rapid fire read those off. Do it. So Samuel L. Jackson was brought to the project with a deal containing an option to play the character in up to nine Marvel films. Wow. Jackson said he does more in the Avengers than in any of the previous films. Quote, you don't have to wait until the end of the movie to see me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Kobe Smulders' deal would also integrate her into nine films. Regarding her preparation, Smulders said, I hired this amazing black ops trainer to teach me how to hold a gun, take me to a shooting range, how to hit, how to hold myself, how to walk, and basically how to look. I don't do a ton of fighting in the movie, which is why I wasn't offered a trainer, but I wanted to look like I had the ability to. Good for her. That's awesome. Yeah. To have the money to just hire your own black ops trainer literally you're like oh this movie i'm on (laughs) this movie i'm on 
doesn't offer me a trainer, but I want to train, so I'm going to hire my own trainer. She was like, you know what? I got to put this How I Met Your Mother money to good use. (laughs) (laughs) But, okay, she doesn't, like she said, she doesn't fight a lot in the movie, but the couple of scenes where she, like, she, like, does the, the role and points and stuff, like, she looked awesome doing that, so great job. She did. She did. I believed her. <laughs> <laughs> um, when Fury says, I gave you this assignment so you could keep a close eye on things, and Clint says, I see better from a distance. I said, farsighted king Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but honestly, though, like, that was the best place to be able to see everybody. Yeah. It's like a Taylor Swift concert. Yeah. Unobstructed view. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy Renner said it was a very physical role and that he trained physically and practiced archery as much as possible in preparation. About the role, Renner said, When I saw Iron Man, I thought that it was a really kick-ass approach to superheroes. Then they told me about this Hawkeye character, and I liked how he wasn't really a superhero. He's just a guy with a high skill set. I could connect to that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that um, really most of the people on the Avengers are not superpowered. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, And then related to how Loki looks like he needs a nap. (laughs) First of all, I said Loki looks unwell. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) About his character's evolution from the film Thor, Hiddleston said... I think the Loki we see in the Avengers is further advanced. You have to ask yourself the question, how pleasant an experience is it disappearing into a wormhole that has been created by some kind of super nuclear explosion of his own making? So I think by the time Loki shows up in the Avengers, he's seen a few things. (laughs) He's like, I've been through some shit, okay? Give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. And yet... The dark circles are so hot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I also really liked the quote, an ant has no quarrel with a boot. Yes. Oof. Uh, So good. Related to that, um, Loki also was saying, I bring glad tidings of a world made free. And then Fury's like, free from what? And he's like, from freedom. What? (laughs) (laughs) What? What are you talking about? <laughs> free from freedom? Like, can you can you listen to yourself for like three seconds, dude? I've got a fun fact about that um, later on in the movie. Okay. <laughs> um, because Tom Hiddleston had a quote about that that I thought was really interesting. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm curious to hear what he has to say about it. Um, I was going to make another no- joke about the Dark Circles, though. I think... Uh, I may have actually, if I've said it before, let me know. But um, one time I I went on this, like, lunch date with a, a stand-up comedian um, from Baton Rouge. Nobody would know him. Um, but on that date, part of the conversation that we were having was about how tired we are all the time. Um, and so he apparently, he told me that he added that a joke into his set from that conversation. And it was that, like... How did he say it? It was like, I'm really, I'm really, really into girls with dark circles under their eyes because it means they're as tired as I am or something like that. I don't know. But I, (laughs) (laughs) 
I agree. Dark circles are sexy as hell. We're all fucking exhausted, okay? <laughs> um, there was a part where some, like, some agents, like, dropped a bunch of, like, briefcases and stuff. Yes! At w- when the thing, and Coulson was like, leave it, leave it. Always concerned with saving people over things. Yeah. I love Coulson. I love him. I did. I also, I reacted. I didn't write anything about it, but I did react to that moment. I was like, no, the briefcases. <laughs> okay, so when the whole, like, fucking facility is, like, imploding into the ground, um, how the hell did Hill get out of that? How did anybody get out of that? That was insane. It was. It. I have a note about that. I said, man, a whole base collapsing in on itself. That's terrifying. Literally. Also, why did uh, Loki and Hawkeye and, like, his, you know, his little minions that he turned, they all decided to take a a truck and, like, they have jets on this base (laughs) that he can fly. (laughs) Why why would they choose to drive out of there? That was stupid. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) So, Clark Gregg was cast as part of a multi-picture deal with Marvel. Gregg said his role was expanded in The Avengers. What Agent Coulson had become in terms of the import of this particular story and how important his job is in bringing The Avengers together, it kind of felt a little surreal, like somebody was playing a prank and that wasn't the real script. (laughs) But it wasn't. It was the real thing, and I got to show up and do that stuff, and it felt like such an amazing payoff to what the journey had been and the fact that I had been doing it for five years. Aw, Clark. Clark. I did think it was interesting, I guess, because, like, I know we love Coulson, and I, we have this, like, relationship with the character because of, like, the but the show came later. So I'm trying to picture, like, what he has actually done within these movies, like, where everybody else was actually introduced to him. Um... And I, I, it feels like a lot of the, the, his relationships with, with the Avengers, they all got to know him outside of what we actually saw. And so it felt weird and like rushed for, for him to like be so important to every single member of the team, you know? Was that just me? I don't know. I don't know. Cause he was in Iron Man and yeah. Iron Man 2. And also in Thor. Yeah. And then you see, like, him being a fanboy over Cap. He worked with Natasha um, and Clint, so. I guess I just, like, I I know that he is friends with these people, but I just, I, I guess so far in these movies, I didn't see him actually, like, bonding with them. Like, he just kind of was the agent, you know, in, in, like, in Thor and Iron Man. I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't see, I wish I could have seen the, the bonding more. I, like, obviously I loved the, the trading cards and stuff and him fangirling over Cap and everything. Um, it just, it felt like I was just being told, oh, he's important to these people, you know, and I wasn't actually shown that. Hmm. I disagree, but I respect your opinion. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway. So Powers Booth, who played a World Security Council member, was also featured in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., playing the same character whose name was revealed to be Gideon Malick. We haven't gotten to him yet, but we will. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He was one of the people in the Mysterious Council? Yeah. Okay. What did you call them? The World Security Council. World Security Council. Okay. They all seemed dumb. (laughs) (laughs) They come up quite a lot um, in the MCU, at least the early MCU. Okay, cool. Well, I will make sure that I say that every time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so when Nat was being introduced, her iconic, like, you really think I'm pretty line? (laughs) I love it. I love that Natasha's whole thing is using her sexuality to her advantage to make men underestimate her. Yeah. Like, on purpose. So they give up all the info willingly. (laughs) Her being like, this moron is giving me everything. (laughs) And I really loved, so Coulson with the, like, rescue phone call or whatever, um, and then him just, like, listening to the fight over the phone as if his whole music was so funny. (laughs) Just patiently waiting. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I, I, wrote, I wrote that down, too. <laughs> Regarding her training, Scarlett Johansson said, Even though Iron Man 2 was, quote, one for them, I'd never done anything like that before. I'd never been physically driven in something or a part of something so big. For the Avengers, I've spent so many months training with our stunt team and fighting all the other actors. It's crazy. I do nothing but fight all the time. <laughs> True. <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> really, the only note that I had about uh, not going to to get Banner was Mark Ruffalo is so hot. <laughs> Just <laughs> he is gorgeous. <laughs> um. Oh, and then the quote where uh, they were talking about the Tesseract and how dangerous it is and stuff. Um. And he was like, "What does Fury want me to do? Swallow it?" <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> Which I do wonder, what would that do? How would that work? <laughs> I wonder. It would just send him to space, I guess. Yeah, but from the inside out, oh, he becomes space. <laughs> <laughs> space Hulk. <laughs> For the introduction of the Hulk, I um, I found it interesting that Nat used Bruce's kindness against him to draw him out. Yeah. I want to be friends with him. (laughs) I feel like... Bruce Banner, be friends with us. (laughs) He just needs a hug, you know? (laughs) He really does. Poor guy. Yeah. Oh, and then that she... She lied to make him more comfortable because she was like... She's like, it's just you and me. Nobody's surrounding you. But then, like, he was testing her to... Because he didn't trust her either. So, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So Ruffalo, who was considered to play Banner in The Incredible Hulk before Edward Norton took the role, was cast after negotiations between Marvel and Norton broke down. About replacing Norton, Ruffalo said, I'm a friend of Ed's, and yeah, that wasn't a great way for all that to go down. But the way I see it is that Ed has bequeathed this part to me. I look at it as my generation's Hamlet. Oh, that's nice. That's such a nice way to see it. (laughs) Um, And then Kevin Feige made a statement 
about replacing Edward Norton. (laughs) (laughs) We have made the decision to not bring Ed Norton back to portray the title role of Bruce Banner in The Avengers. Our decision is definitely not one based on monetary factors, but instead rooted in the need for an actor who embodies the creativity and collaborative spirit of our other talented cast members. (laughs) The Avengers demands players who thrive working as part of an ensemble, as evidenced by Robert, Chris H., Chris E., Samuel, Scarlett, and all of our talented cast. We are looking to announce a name actor who fulfills these requirements and is passionate about the iconic role in the coming weeks. Oh my god! Jesus! (laughs) He said, no, it wasn't about the money. We just don't like him. (laughs) He just sucks to work with. The Avengers demands players who thrive working as part of an ensemble. (laughs) He said, that dude's a diva and I hate him. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. Uh, it's like when I got fired from <laughs> a fire extinguisher for um, not fitting in company culture. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except they were wrong about that. Well, they were right, but they shouldn't have fired me for that. That was stupid. <laughs> God. I didn't fit in, but that's not a reason to fucking fire somebody. Anyway. Oh, we digress. In... In response, Norton's agent, Brian Swordstrom, decried Feige's statement, calling it, quote, purposefully misleading and an, quote, inappropriate attempt to paint our client in a negative light. (laughs) In October 2014, Norton claimed it was his own decision never to play Hulk again because he, quote, wanted more diversity with his career and did not want to be associated with only one character. Okay. (laughs) Fight Club? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what what only one character <laughs> i mean I, dude like i mean you won hardly anybody even knows that there was a hulk movie right <laughs> nobody even remembered you <laughs> you did it you did it great job <laughs> you did it Great job, Ed. You will never be typecast so as Hulk ever again. <laughs> <laughs> what has he done since then? I have no idea. He's been like the we dad we discussed of a this things. in the Incredible Hulk episode. Yeah, but I literally had never heard of Edward Norton before we watched the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I know. Off the top of my head that he's done is Fight Club. I don't... Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't seen Fight Club. I love this drama, though. Wow. (laughs) It's so juicy. It is. Wow. The (laughs) T. I do like that they want Bruce for his scientific ability, though, and not for the Hulk. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and because they can't control the Hulk... So that would have been stupid anyway. (laughs) That would not have been a smart move. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I talk about this later, but um, I I really loved Bruce and and Tony being like science bros. Yeah, I do love that as well. That was very cute. Um, So really the only thing that I had to say about Steve's reintroduction was um, when... 
he was, <laughs> Fury was like, is there anything about the Tesseract that we should know now? And he said, you should have left it in the ocean. And I just, honestly, I agree with that in so many ways. I think that most things that you find in the ocean should probably be left in the ocean. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> it's a scary place. I don't know why, but what I thought of, what I thought of when you said that was the fact that a blobfish doesn't really look like that. It's just how that fish looks when you take it out of the deep, <laughs> like, pressure of the bottom of the ocean. It, the fish just kind of explodes. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Everything you find in the ocean, just leave it. <laughs> leave it there. Just leave it there. That's where it belongs. <laughs> I just think it would be so incredibly jarring to wake up to an entirely new world. Oh my god, yes. Like a 70-year coma? Stop. I feel jarred every time I wake up after one night. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even imagine yeah. 70 years. And the amount of technological advances... Oh my god. And then to see that the very thing that you were trying to stop Hydra from using to destroy the world in the first place is now in the hands of another bad guy. It's like what what did I just freeze for? <laughs> what did I do all that for? <laughs> I'd be so fucking yeah, mad. Everything was for nothing. <laughs> I'd be so fucking mad. I put it in the ocean on purpose. Um, Evans was cast as part of a deal to star in three Marvel films in addition to the Avengers. He said that Steve Rogers is much darker in The Avengers. Quote, It's just about him trying to come to terms with the modern world. You've got to imagine, it's enough of a shock to accept the fact that you're in a completely different time. But everybody you know is dead. Everybody you cared about. He was a soldier, obviously. Everybody he went to battle with, all of his brothers in arms, they're all dead. He's just lonely. I think in the beginning it's a fish out of water scene, and it's tough. It's a tough pill for him to swallow. Then comes trying to find a balance with the modern world. Yeah, I, God, I think he portrayed that really well. Just the, like, underlying depression, honestly. Yeah. And loneliness. Depression, loneliness, like, a little bit of quiet rage, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. Poor Cap. <laughs> Poor Steve. He just has so much going on. <laughs> yeah. He's like, can I just have one problem at a time, please? <laughs> So, then we're reintroducing Tony. Um, and on the... So, like, Coulson uh, does not hand the the file over to Tony because <laughs> Tony doesn't like to be handed things, of course. Um, <laughs> which, honestly, for someone who is probably, like, faces assassination attempts at some point, that's probably pretty smart to not want to be handed things. Yeah. <laughs> um... But so he like he takes the file and he like puts the hologram up, right? Um, and I'm pretty sure on there one of the files was a it was like a picture. It was it looked like a Tinder profile, but with like a prom picture of like Chris Evans in like a dress shirt and tie. I have no <laughs> idea what that was, but it made me laugh a lot. <laughs> um, I do like all the talk about clean energy. They're yeah. a little confused, but they got the spirit. Yeah. I think it really makes a lot of sense for Tony to to be so passionate about clean energy in general. Um, 
because I feel like it kind of is his way of uh, making some kind of amends for the the oil wars that he has, you know, helped stir in his life with all of the weapons that he's made and, and designed yeah. and everything. Um, I feel like that makes a lot of sense for him to to be like, I need to... I need to find the solution to this particular problem, you know? And then the first mention of the cellist. Yeah. Yeah, I've got just the quote. I want to hear about the cellist. Is that still a thing? She moved back to Portland. What? Boo. Oh. (laughs) Where where was she? In New York? Where where does Coulson, like, live? I don't know. I thought he just lived with S.H.I.E.L.D. He's homeless. (laughs) (laughs) He just lives at work. So, Robert Downey Jr. was cast as part of his four-picture deal with Marvel Studios, which included Iron Man 2 and The Avengers. He said he initially pushed Whedon to make Stark the lead. Well, I said, I need to be in the opening sequence. I don't know what you're thinking, but Tony needs to drive this thing. He was like, okay, let's try that. We tried it, and it didn't work, because this is a different sort of thing. The story and the idea and the theme is the theme. And everybody is just an arm of the octopus. Interesting. Interesting way to phrase it. Yeah. It's very Hydra of them. (laughs) Also, Phil, his first name is Agent. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Wait, that he was so so jealous of Pepper, like, being friends (laughs) with Coulson. (laughs) Yes. Pepper is so sweet. I'm so glad they included her in this movie. Like, I don't think it would be half as good if the o- if the only characters from the previous movies were the heroes. Well, because, like, you know, we you have to give them some kind of, like, personality outside of just, I am the protagonist, you know? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and Paltrow was actually cast at Downey's insistence. Prior to this, Whedon had not intended the film to include supporting characters from the hero's individual films, commenting, You need to separate the characters from their support systems in order to create the isolation you need for a team. What? That's what Whedon said? Yeah. Does he know how, like, relationships work? (laughs) Probably not. Does he have any friends? (laughs) He has no friends and, and his... He hates his family. What? <laughs> you have to be isolated. That you have to be isolated in order to want to join a team. I- <laughs> Can we get this guy some help, <laughs> please? <laughs> Go to therapy. Go to therapy. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. It really, really doesn't. So, like, what I'm hearing is that every good thing about this movie um, was at the insistence of someone else and not yeah. Joss Whedon's idea. Yeah. I, that seems to be the common thread. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have any other, any other bitch quotes? Um, no. I've got one more fun fact about that scene. Gwyneth Paltrow is noticeably barefoot in all of her scenes in Stark Tower, (gasps) while Robert Downey Jr. is in three or four inch platform shoes, so he looks taller than her. And he still didn't look taller than her. He still didn't. (laughs) What? (laughs) I 
I made a note about that later, like towards the end of the movie. But I did notice that. And that's so weird. <laughs> I like she still could have been wearing like flat shoes or something. Jesus. <laughs> this was the age of ballet flats. This was 2012. Yeah. Everybody. Oh, my God. I can't. <laughs> Just put her in ballet flats, a slouchy beret and an owl necklace. She'd fit it right in. (laughs) (laughs) With, like, a chevron top or something. (laughs) So my next couple of... (laughs) My next couple were all about uh, Coulson being a fangirl. Mine too. I love... I love uh, that Coulson is such a fangirl. (laughs) Wait, him literally... He literally said, I watched you when you were sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I'm obsessed (laughs) and him being so flustered around Steve it's fucking adorable I know how that feels Phil (laughs) (laughs) I've been there and then somebody asking Steve did Coulson ask you to sign his Captain America trading cards yet they're vintage he's very proud was the start that of was Natasha. Yeah. <laughs> his antique collection. Yeah. Clark Gregg said Whedon provided insight into his character's backstory, particularly about Coulson being a fan of Captain America. Oh, there wasn't anything else? Okay. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was waiting for what the insight was. <laughs> nope, that was all. <laughs> I love everyone just covering for Joss when like none of <laughs> he probably was just like, hey, Coulson was a big fan of Captain America and he has some trading cards. And that <laughs> that was the inside. <laughs> and also like he I, I get I, I feel like he didn't even actually say any of that to Clark. Clark just read it in the script <laughs> And it was like, oh. Oh, great. Good insight, Joss. <laughs> He's so nice. Clark is so nice. Oh, I love it. Okay, on to act two. Yes. Okay, so the the helicarrier, honestly, just as an invention, seemed incredibly unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> like, they they made that just to say that they had one. <laughs> That did not need to be a flying thing. <laughs> that seems so just inefficient. <laughs> uh, I just think that Steve is such a sweetie, assuring Bruce that he doesn't care about the Hulk. Yeah, that was cute. Um, I've got a fun fact about Bruce Banner. Okay. Um, Mark Ruffalo said about the character... He's a guy struggling with two sides of himself, the dark and the light, and everything he does in his life is filtered through issues of control. I grew up on the Bill Bixby TV series, which I thought was a really nuanced and real human way to look at the Hulk. I like that the part has those qualities. I feel like that definitely gave him a lot of, like, a lot to work with, just in terms of, like, choices that he made acting-wise. Because he always, he's always a little more stressed than everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think Mark Ruffalo just has like a sad, stressed face. <laughs> it might just be his face, yeah. Um 
that's why he's so hot. <laughs> it is. I love sad, stressed little men. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> I did love Steve handing Fury the $10 because he actually is surprised by something. Yeah. That, that was something that I noticed from the before scene where Steve was like, oh, you know, with all the stuff I've seen now, I don't think anything could surprise me. And Fury was like, bet you $10. <laughs> and that he was surprised by the helicarrier. Yeah. What I interesting. I feel <laughs> I feel like an inefficiently flying uh thing. I there were a lot of I never mind. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I think maybe because he thought it was a submarine. I guess. And then it just went the other way. <laughs> And then Coulson actually asking Steve to sign his trading cards. Yeah, that was cute. <laughs> I, I liked that he was so proud of them. He was like, look, it took me so long to find all of these. Yeah. A couple years, <laughs> he said. Yeah. Cute. Um, my next notes aren't until uh, they're in Germany. So. Oh, same. Um, Loki loves that all of these people are screaming and running from him. Yes. Also, <laughs> I think, I think my favorite note that I took of the whole movie was, "Ew, Loki took that man's eyeball." <laughs> <laughs> That's my reaction that every so time gross. too. <laughs> it is, and then he's like twitching, like, "Ugh." Uh. Because why? They did not. Have, <laughs> they could have just had like some kind of video thing. They did not need to do that. That was so gross. <laughs> And then about the quote that I was telling you about that I thought was very interesting from Tom Hiddleston. So about Loki's motivations, Hiddleston said, At the beginning of the Avengers, he comes to Earth to subjugate it, and his idea is to rule the human race as their king. And like all the delusional autocrats of human history, he thinks this is a great idea, because if everyone is busy worshipping him, there will be no wars, so he will create some kind of world peace by ruling them as a tyrant. <laughs> but he is also kind of deluded in the fact that he thinks unlimited power will give him self-respect, so I haven't let go of the fact that he is still motivated by this terrible jealousy and kind of spiritual desolation. Listen, that's more that's more depth than I gave him, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so funny. If, if everyone is busy worshipping him, there will be no wars. Yeah, that's hilarious, honestly. <laughs> I guess, yeah, you're right. Sure. I guess, yeah. <laughs> Man, Tom Hiddleston is so, like, intelligent and, like, what's the word? Like... Well-spoken? I guess, but, like, he he understands his character so much and puts so much work into understanding this character. And then for Jaws to be, like, that British-type cast... Yeah, the British character, <laughs> character actor. What? Also, what does that even mean? Like, if you are an actor, you are playing a character. <laughs> so character That's a actor stupid insult. <laughs> character actor is like I'm assuming it's like a like a typecast kind of But he meant it to be an actor who specializes in playing eccentric or unusual people rather than leading roles. So he very much meant it to be an insult. He meant it to be a demeaning thing. But character actors 
have their place in Hall. Like, where would anything be without character actors? Right. Like, anyway. What an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have you've hired this this actor who cares so is so talented cares so much about his craft and like is doing the work to be the best version of this character that he could possibly be and to just insult him like that is so stupid that's such a mean girl move and i hate it (laughs) he's such a bitch anyway so then the iconic uh neil scene where the the one man in the crowd I thought that it was interesting that he did kneel at first, and then once he heard what Loki was saying, he stood back up. And then he was like, he said, I won't kneel to men like you. And Loki says, there are, there are no men like me. And he says, there are always men like you. And I just, <laughs> has Loki ever met a man? There are no men like me. <laughs> there are so many. <laughs> yeah, there were, I'm not sure if this was, if this was ever confirmed or if this was just a fan theory, but I remember um, back in in my Tumblr days seeing posts that um, that man was Jewish, and so that's what he was talking about. He was specifically talking about mm-hmm. Hitler. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I think I've... I probably read whatever you retweeted, reblogged about it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a really very poignant exchange there. Yeah. Um, and then immediately, Steve made me laugh <laughs> <laughs> because Loki's like Neil, and he goes, he goes, not today. <laughs> <laughs> The way he said it with so much sass, it was fantastic. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> um, so after Loki turns himself in and um then Thor takes him, um my dad always loved the line when Cap is like jumping out of the plane where he goes, There's only one god, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> I I didn't make any notes about that, but I remember thinking like that would have been something that I would have liked when I was in high school too. <laughs> <laughs> that there there was me on my my little Christian girl uh, on yeah. my blog. I I reblogged gif sets of that. <laughs> we all went through our phase, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so then when um, Thor is like trying to talk some sense into Loki and he, yeah. he's like, you gotta listen to me and then Tony like takes Thor out <laughs> and Loki's like I'm listening <laughs> yes, I didn't make a note of that I don't think, but yes, so funny so, so, funny. so funny, I just wanna like there are so many lines like that that I always wonder if those are if those are like planned out like actually written or if it's just like a you know you do the take a couple times and then it just happens see that is the thing about Joss Whedon is that he's great at dialogue um so that's that's sort of a little that's sort of a little Whedonism there that's that's sort of like sass okay that's what Joss Whedon brings to the table so Chris Hemsworth was cast as part of a multiple movie deal 
and he remarked that Thor's motivation, quote, is much more of a personal one in the sense that it's his brother that is stirring things up, whereas everyone else, it's some bad guy who they've got to take down. It's a different approach for me, or for Thor. He's constantly having to battle the greater good and what he should do versus it's his little brother there. I've been frustrated with my brothers at times, or family, but I'm the only one who's allowed to be angry at them. There's a bit of that. <laughs> Not anymore! <laughs> Liam sucks! <laughs> For real. We didn't know that then. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. But Thor and Loki's relationship getting fleshed out even more is... Mm, chef's kiss. That was lovely. So Tom Hiddleston revealed that Chris Hemsworth actually punched him for real in one scene. Oh. Recalling the experience on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert in 2015, Hiddleston said, Fighting Chris Hemsworth, you're going to lose, let's face it. (laughs) On film, it's all about angles when you're fighting. So you're trying to get the angles of the different parts of the choreography to tell the story, but you only have to do it once. There was a scene in the Avengers where Thor had to strike Loki across the face, and I was wearing the horns, which weigh about 30 pounds. I couldn't really sell the hit, the smack. So I just said to Chris, I think you should just hit me in the face. It's a terrible idea. I went down like a stone, he added. And I suppose (laughs) on stage when you're doing a fight, you have to do it every night for a hundred odd performances. I think if I was being hit in the face by Chris Hemsworth day after day, I don't know if I would be able to manage that. It wouldn't be sustainable. (laughs) Yeah, I bet not. (laughs) Um, And after Thor takes Loki off the Quinjet down on the mountainside, two large ravens fly by them as they're talking in Norse mythology, Thor's father, Odin, had two ravens, Hugin and Munin, who would bring Odin information from Midgard. Oh. I'm assuming that I said that right, and if I didn't, um, no one correct me. I don't want to know. <laughs> You'll find out eventually. One day. Um, and then <laughs> I just loved Loki settling in for the show, the fight between Iron Man and Thor. He's just, like, sitting on the rock watching. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> I thought for sure that he was going to escape during that. Yeah, Loki letting himself be taken in should definitely have been more of a red flag to them. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, what were they going to do? Just, like, dumb. be like, okay, well, you want us to take you in, so go, be free. Never mind. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> At that point, it's like, okay, uh, well, <laughs> I guess we have to now. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> it's obvious he wants us to, but why does he want us to? Right. They'll be like, but maybe it's reverse psychology. But maybe it's reverse reverse psychology. <laughs> um, I did very much appreciate Steve breaking up the Tony and Thor fight because I thought that that was unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, that may just be me not appreciating fight scenes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I say it later, but I never know what to take notes on during the fight scenes. And so, like, the yeah. entire end of the movie, I'm just like, well. Literally. They sure are doing things. <laughs> There's some action. <laughs> so when Loki is held prisoner on the helicarrier, the computer screens monitoring him shows an infrared image of the cell. Loki's temperature is shown as blue or cold. Due to the fact that he is a frost giant by nature. Oh. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. My, my only real note about that 
particular section was um, just that Loki smiling at Bruce as he was walking through was so creepy. <laughs> it was. There were a lot of really creepy angles of Loki. <laughs> Absolutely unsettling. <laughs> um, Nat is devastated that Loki has Clint, but is trying to hide it. Yeah. Ugh. Buddy. And I've got a fun fact about that if you want to hear it. Yes, please. About the character and her relationship with Hawkeye, Scarlett Johansson said, Our characters have a long history. They fought together for a long time in a lot of battles in many different countries. We're the two members of this avenging group who are skilled warriors. We have no superpowers. Black Widow is definitely one of the team, though. She's not in the cast simply to be a romantic foil or eye candy. She's there to fight, so I never felt like I was the only girl. We all have our various skills, and it feels equal. Yeah, I think um, I think that was what was always so, I don't want to say intriguing, but like so exciting about Black Widow is that she holds her own, and she's not, she's not the love interest for any man, or like she just is respect respectable and like respected within the universe um as as a fierce warrior on her own yeah it's disappointing that they took so long to like make her movie yeah blame (laughs) ike perlmutter whoever that is i hate them (laughs) (laughs) you should Um, I liked when Tony said to Coulson, I'm just saying, pick a weekend and I'll fly you to Portland. Keep love alive. Yeah. Aw. Everybody's rooting for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really, I liked when uh, Tony's like looking at the the screens and he goes, how does Fury even see these? <laughs> and Hill's like, he turns. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds exhausting. <laughs> Mr. I don't like to be handed things. I also don't like to turn my head. (laughs) (laughs) So Tony Stark tells Bruce Banner that he admires his work on anti-electron collisions. When electrons and anti-electrons, also known as positrons, collide, they annihilate each other, and high-energy photons, or gamma rays, the fictional means by which Bruce Banner became the Incredible Hulk, are produced in their place. Wow. I'm glad that you looked into that because I did not. <laughs> I was not that that was just words. <laughs> <laughs> so the Hulk was created because of Bruce's work with gamma rays. Gamma, yeah. So it could have been a subtle dig on Tony's part. I guess it could have been. <laughs> but we're going to take it as not a dig. Yeah. We're going to say that they're just They just are besties, and they Mm -hmm. love and respect each other. (laughs) Yes. The iconic, I understood that reference line. Yes. (laughs) Steve was just so excited that he finally understood something. Yeah. I am Steve. Steve is me. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Evans was actually unsure about his character's line, I understood that reference, because he was worried that it would make audiences think that his character was unintelligent. However, he was quickly comforted after he watched the movie with an audience and he saw that they found the line humorous as opposed to stupid. Good. Uh, Well, I'm glad that he got to watch it with other people because, yeah, it makes sense that he wouldn't understand most of the references of, like, pop culture or anything. Yeah, he was just so excited. (laughs) He was like, flying monkeys, flying monkeys, I know that. That's the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) 
I do like that that particular reference has, like, the Wizard of Oz has stood the test of time, you know, and we are still referencing it in pop culture. Yeah. That's cool. Ooh, the next line that I, like, really, I dig this a lot. Um, I think it was Tony said, an intelligence organization that fears intelligence, historically not awesome. <laughs> yes. It was a funny way to put it, but also, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so in that scene, you see that Tony has, like, the bag of whatever it is. He's eating blueberries, I think it was. He said it was blueberries. It didn't look like blueberries. (laughs) (laughs) So Robert Downey Jr. kept food hidden all over the lab set, and apparently nobody could find where it was, so they just let him continue doing it. (laughs) In the movie, that's his actual food he's offering, and when he was eating, it wasn't scripted. He was just hungry. That's so funny. <laughs> RDJ just doing whatever. <laughs> and they just let him. They're like, well, he's the star. He started all of this. It's fine. <laughs> and say what you want about Tony, but he is incredibly good at greeting people. Yeah. Like, he knew that it was bothering Bruce, too, about what yeah. they were really up to. Absolutely. Well, and I think especially with Bruce, because Bruce would have already had a healthy distrust of anybody asking for his help anyway. Um, And, like, yeah, Tony, I think Tony just understands people on a level that, like, he doesn't, that people don't expect because he's just in a silly, goofy mood a lot of times. (laughs) Yeah. So regarding the dynamic between Steve Rogers and Tony Stark, Chris Evans said... I think there's certainly a dichotomy, this kind of friction between myself and Tony Stark. They're polar opposites. One guy is flash and spotlight and smooth, and the other guy is selfless and in the shadows and kind of quiet, and they have to get along. They explore that, and it's pretty fun. It was fun. I do, like, I, I think the um, all of the headbutting and, like, I don't know, the competition between these large personalities is fairly fairly realistic yeah (laughs) for like real world teams um so i love i love that selvig is like doing all of this really delicate like chemistry sciencey stuff but like in the back of a moving truck (laughs) i was like there has to be there has to be a better (laughs) place for him to be doing this (laughs) so the argument scene where they're all yelling at each other, it always yeah. stresses me the fuck out. <laughs> I was like, can y'all stop? Yeah. <laughs> Just chill out for a second. And, like, the way it's shot. So I have a fun fact that neither of us will understand, but one of our listeners is bound to and will think it's cool. So I'm including it. Oh, good. <laughs> Cinematographer Seamus McGarvey stated that he composed the frame with a 1.85 to 1 aspect ratio to cope with the main character's varying heights, explaining, Shooting 1.85 to 1 is kind of unusual for an epic film like this, but we needed the height in the screen to be able to frame in all the characters like the Hulk, Captain America, and Black Widow, who is much smaller. We had to give them all precedence and width within the frame. Also, Joss knew the final battle sequence was going to be this extravaganza in Manhattan, so the height and vertical scale of the buildings was going to be really important. The film was McGarvey's first venture with a digital camera, the Ari Alexa. 
the Canon EOS 5D Mark II and Canon EOS 7D digital SLR cameras were used for some shots, and high-speed shots were captured on 35mm film with the Ariflex 435. About his visual approach, McGarvey remarked, Joss and I were keen on having a very visceral and naturalistic quality to the image. We wanted this to feel immersive and did not want a comic book look that might distance an audience with the engagement of the film. We moved the camera a lot on Steadicam, cranes, and on dollies to create kinetic images, and we chose angles that were dramatic, like low angles for heroic imagery. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so when Nat was talking to, uh, or like, secretly questioning Loki, um, and he said, mewling quim, disgusting. Why? <laughs> <laughs> what is I that? I hated it. I didn't look it up. I don't know. Ew. Whining but Okay. <laughs> Disgusting. I can't Ew. believe they were allowed to include <laughs> That's that. Gross. I know. I Is this allowed? I hated it. Is that allowed? <laughs> gross. But it's okay because <laughs> then nah. Nat fucking got him. <laughs> she fucking got him. <laughs> and she was right. She was. Absolutely. Which then made sense why he was smiling so creepily at Bruce when he walked through. <laughs> yeah. So regarding the Hulk's place on the team, Mark Ruffalo said, He's like the teammate none of them are sure they want on their team. He's a loose cannon. It's like, just throw a grenade in the middle of the group and let's hope it turns out well. <laughs> right. God. <laughs> So when um, the Hulk um, woke up <laughs> again. Yeah, I've also, about that scene, the one thing that I noticed <laughs> was I always wonder what they put on actors to make them look sweaty. Like, is it a light misting of water? Yeah. Is it Vaseline? <laughs> <laughs> is Are they just sweaty? <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> I sweat so much anyway. Like, I feel like if I... If I were on an action film, I would just be sweaty. <laughs> but yeah, the huge fight scene where like the engines have gone down and hostiles are attacking and the Hulk is on the loose. It was so chaotic. I like didn't even take notes. Yeah. Actually, okay, I did I have a couple, but so David was like kind of half watching it with me and when uh when Banner transformed into the Hulk, he was like Imagine if his pants weren't so stretchy. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure we did cover. We did say that in uh, one of the Hulk movies. Cause I <laughs> yeah, he I was feel like, like stretchy, stretchy. <laughs> but like, that would that would be very uncomfortable to just see all that shit just flopping around, you know? Give us the Hulk dick. <laughs> we want to see it. And then, okay, so when um, Tony tells Steve to look at, to make sure that whatever is running, I don't know. Um, and Steve's like, it seems to run on some form of electricity. <laughs> <laughs> and all I could think about is that is the exact level of understanding as our 
current senators and congressmen uh, that are talking about, does TikTok connect to home Wi-Fi? (laughs) (laughs) It's measuring the dilation in your eyes. If I download TikTok onto my phone and then I connect it to my home Wi-Fi, will it then have access to my home Wi-Fi? <laughs> it's the same. It's the same exact energy. And that's all there is to it, okay? <laughs> oh, okay. And then, so Thor is, like, running after Loki in the in his little cage or whatever. And when, <laughs> when Loki, like... Does he, he like crouches down or whatever to, to trick Thor into coming after him and then he disappears because he's a hologram or whatever? Um, was so funny. <laughs> His little crouch was so funny <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> Why did he do that? <laughs> it was literally like when I'm trying to get my dog riled up <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what? Oh my god. <laughs> And he was like, are you ever not going to fall for that? <laughs> that was funny. Did you have anything about Coulson's death? I have Coulson, no! Hashtag Coulson lives. <laughs> I said almost the same thing. I didn't include the hashtag, but I did say Coulson, no. Um, not the trading cards. I know. And okay, I thought it was fucking... I didn't. I didn't remember this part from the first time that I watched it, but it was. I thought that the the trading cards with like blood on it that was a little much. <laughs> <laughs> that was that. It felt it felt a little weird <laughs> because Theatrical. why would he just be carrying them around? <laughs> well, I mean, he was gonna try and get Cap to sign them, but it wasn't Still. real anyway. So. <laughs> Uh, when Nick Fury tells the Avengers of Agent Coulson's death, Tony's arc reactor is not glowing. Mm. This is a goof cinematically, but fan theories suggested that his heart is dead like his friend since it glows before and after this scene. Aww. I love that it's <laughs> a like goof. a mess up and it's like, but his heart is dead. His heart. <laughs> Aww. Oh, okay, so this is where I, I said... Uh, so Fury was finally explaining the Avengers initiative um, but he, the way that he's explaining it to them it's like he's punishing them for like acting out or whatever but like he literally could have avoided all of that disagreement and fighting just now if he had just explained from the get go what they were doing instead of throwing a bunch of random powered-ish people in a fucking plane together with no information and expecting them not to question anything. And these are all, like, not only are they very powerful people, they're very intelligent people. Yeah. Just throwing them together with no information and being like, don't ask any questions. You think there's not going to be a problem? (laughs) I did like that Coulson was the one thing that could bring the Avengers together. Yeah. Because he's just awesome. Yeah, everybody (laughs) loves him. Yeah. Somebody was talking to Bruce and said, are you an alien? And he said no. Oh, it was the security guard guy. Yeah. Okay, okay, so it was after he woke up. Um, (laughs) The security guard, after Bruce woke up uh, uh, as Bruce again, the security guard was like, are you an alien? And he said no. He said, then you've got a condition. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was good. 
That was good. <laughs> so funny. And then Tony and Steve are talking, and Steve is in his, like, sexy little boots. I loved those. Yeah. They were so cute. <laughs> He's in his little stripper boots. Yeah. Okay. And then, so so they're talking, and Tony gets so angry when Steve says, or Steve is like, have you never lost uh, or you never lost a man before or something and Tony's like we are not soldiers he was so angry like that line gave me chills um, yeah and like the tears in his eyes yeah I think Tony is so as a character he has become so interesting because like while he has not been a soldier before he has seen war and he's seen the effects of war and he has been a a proprietor of war and like felt the guilt of being the person who caught who designed all of these weapons like created all of this um yeah violence and so it's it makes so much sense for him to be anti-war now and to not want to boil uh, human beings down to uh, soldiers. To, he doesn't want anyone's death to just be referred to as we've lost men before. Um, I th- yeah, that just that little exchange was so so rich. Um, yeah, I think it made a lot of sense. That was for his a good character. thought. Thank you for that thought. Yeah. So on to Act on to Three. Act three. So Tony describes his group as Earth's Mightiest Heroes, that kind of thing. (laughs) This refers to the famous tagline that has been featured on the cover of the Avengers comic book since its 1963 debut. The phrase was also used as a subtitle for the animated series, The Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, 2010. Cute. It is. Love that. I loved his whole conversation with with Loki uh be like no no I'm threatening you (laughs) (laughs) make no mistake I'm threatening you (laughs) whenever I get this far into a movie or episode I stop taking notes because I'm just like so engrossed in the story (laughs) so you have no more notes (laughs) well no I I have I have actually quite a bit more notes oh okay (laughs) I also loved and there's one other person you pissed off. His name was Phil. Aww. <laughs> I love that he started off the movie going, no, his first name is Agent. And then he <laughs> says his name was Phil. Aww. I thought that it was really funny, all the all the cops showing up to this alien invasion, because, like, <laughs> what the fuck are they going to do? <laughs> yeah. Also, unrealistic. Yeah, they wouldn't show up that fast. No, <laughs> if they show up at all. <laughs> um, so about the character's evolution from previous films, Robert Downey Jr. said, In Iron Man, which was an origin story, he was his own epiphany and redemption of sorts. Mm. Iron Man 2 is all about not being an island, dealing with legacy issues and making space for others. In The Avengers, he's throwing it down with the others. Yeah. That's a nice little arc for him. Yeah. I love that he, he learns a lesson in every every iteration. 
Yeah, it's got to have a moral. Yeah. It's like Aesop's fables. <laughs> I've always said that. Iron Man is just like Aesop's <laughs> fables. You know what we've always said? <laughs> It's just like I always say. <laughs> Iron Man is just like Aesop's Fables. You know, Iron Man is to Aesop's Fables what Kevin Feige is to me. So, and we've always exactly. said that. <laughs> exactly. We've always said that. I've always said that. <laughs> Did you have any other fun facts for right here? I do. Um, concept illustrator and designer of Iron Man's Mark VII armor, Phil Saunders, stated that Joss Whedon was looking for something that had the cool factor of the suitcase suit from Iron Man 2, while still being a fully armored, heavy-duty suit that could take, an army, take on an army in the final battle. To that end, Saunders borrowed ideas that had been proposed in Iron Man 2, as well as some ideas that had been abandoned in Iron Man, and merged them together in a modular suit that has big ammo packets on the arms and a backpack. The Science and Entertainment Exchange also provided science consultation for the film. That's fun. That is fun. (laughs) So when uh, Nat and... uh... What the fuck is Hawkeye's name? Clint. Clint. (laughs) Um, Okay. Keep that in. (laughs) Okay. So when Nat and Clint are uh, flying Steve in in their little jet, Steve doesn't even have a seatbelt or anything. Like, he's literally just, like, hanging around. It was ridiculous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like we've discussed, you can die. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got just like Budapest all over again. You and I remember Budapest very differently. <laughs> that was so, I feel like that's so funny. And it also can be like, it can mean so many different things. <laughs> yeah. It's so vague. We do eventually find out what happened in Budapest. And it makes this line make no fucking sense. Oh, great. And that's all I'll say. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> when when do we find out what happens? In Black Widow. Ugh. In the Black Widow movie that came out years and years So and I have years to wait after. years? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah. Damn it. I mean, so did we. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Did Joss Whedon write that one? No. Who wrote that one? Do we hate them too? I don't know. We'll find out I when don't we think get to so. it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the iconic That's my secret cap. I'm always angry. Iconic. Yes. And so relatable. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. For sure. This is the first production in which the actor playing Banner also plays the Hulk. Ruffalo told New York Magazine, I'm really excited. No one's ever played the Hulk exactly. They've always done CGI. They're going to do the Avatar stop-action, stop-motion capture. So I'll actually play the Hulk. That'll be fun. Aww. He was so excited about it. Yeah. And the 3D model used to create the Hulk's body was modeled after Long Island bodybuilder and male stripper Steve Rom, hey. while the Hulk's face was modeled after Ruffalo. Okay. 
it worked. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best Hulk has looked. Yeah. I thought you were going to say the best of both worlds. <laughs> Meaning, like, Mark Ruffalo's face with, <laughs> with the stripper body. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean. <laughs> but I do, uh, the I'm always angry part is is... It's poignant because it's like, I feel like uh, for many of us in society at large, um, we all kind of have an undercurrent of of rage. Yeah. <laughs> if you're paying any kind of attention to what's going on in the world, we all just have that undercurrent of, of unbridled rage that is just waiting to come out the second we let it. Um, but because we are in a civilized society, we're not allowed to let it out. Um, yeah. And so I feel like that's such a visceral, like, it's such a it's such a good line. It's such a good, like, the Hulk as an allegory for marginalized communities is so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I agree enthusiastically. <laughs> Came out with all all my not really hot takes, but deep takes. <laughs> this <laughs> this bonus episode. Yeah, <laughs> this is the one to do it. Yeah, for sure. I have so few notes about the fight itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. The only ones that I have are. That Hawkeye wiped that smug little grin off Loki's face with the exploding arrow. Yes. Well, I literally said Loki catching the arrow and looking smug and then still getting blown up. (laughs) (laughs) You and me. We're just like Kevin Feige. We are just like Kevin Feige. (laughs) Um... One thing that I also thought was funny was, um, or not funny, but just like very, very quintessentially human was, um, when the Hulk took down the like whale, uh, ship thing. Um, and, but like he was running through the office and then like the fin came around and like took out a bunch of people that were standing next to the window. I was like, why are you next to the window? That's like, (laughs) that's like emergency situation number one. Stay away from windows. Yeah. But so, so very human to be be like, no, I'm safe behind this very breakable glass. I just want to see what's going on. No, I got to see what's going on. (laughs) Um, Also, iconic line. I recognize that the council has made a decision, but seeing as it's a stupid ass decision, I've elected to ignore it. Yes. And so I would like to know who is on this council? Like, are they elected who who are they to decide that they can just drop a nuclear bomb on New York City? <laughs> I'm not sure if they ever get into it. We do see them again, but yeah, they are the World Security Council. Like I understand it's a it's an unprecedented event, and like, God, how do you even begin to decide what to do in this situation? But a nuclear bomb on New York City, like one of, if not the most uh, populated city in the world, yeah. Like, really? That's the that's their first 
<laughs> attempt. That's their first decision. Yeah. It's insanity. But I I loved that. So earlier in the movie, when um when Cap and Tony are fighting, Steve says, you're not the guy to make the sacrifice play. But Tony did it. He made the sacrifice play. Yeah. He did it. That was a... Because you can see, like, the moment on his face when he makes the decision, you know? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Pepper not answering the phone because she's literally watching what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mood. I would be so mad <laughs> at myself. <laughs> like, when you see that missed call later. God. Oh, also iconic, the puny god line. <laughs> yes. I've got a fun fact about that. Ooh. So, to create the Hulk's voice, Ruffalo's voice was blended with those of Lou Ferrigno and others. Ooh. However, the Hulk's only speaking line, puny god, was provided solely by Ruffalo. Aw. That's cute. <laughs> He got he got to be the Hulk's debut voice. <laughs> yeah. Go, Mark. Good job, buddy. <laughs> I loved the Stanley cameo as an Avengers denier. Yes. <laughs> Superheroes in New York, give me a break. <laughs> oh, so one more thing about the the fight. So Fury was like had to like go and stop the rogue jet that was taking off that was carrying a a missile with a nuclear bomb in it and he fucking shot at it with a bazooka <laughs> that was really <laughs> smart <laughs> I didn't think of that <laughs> like you idiot <laughs> oh <laughs> my stomach hurts oh my god Nicholas Nikki fucking Fury. What are you thinking? Nikki fucking Fury. <laughs> so, okay. So, after the, with the, the Stan cameo and everything, and they're, um, you know, going through all the, all the news stories about this, um, the, the, the guy who's like, these so-called heroes need to be held accountable for the destruction done to this city. Fucking why? <laughs> they didn't <laughs> cause it. <laughs> They literally kept the city from being wiped off the map. Like, hold the fucking council responsible. They're the ones who are going to blow you up. Hold Loki responsible. Literally, why? <laughs> why are we mad at the heroes? Because they can't They can't punish the aliens who are already dead, I guess? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Okay. I have... <laughs> My last note was Pepper being barefoot again. <laughs> They are literally in, like, a construction zone. Like, they are renovating the entire fucking, that whole floor. There's construction everywhere, and she's fucking barefoot. <laughs> Babe, <laughs> please, put some kind of shoes on. <laughs> Sandals. We take flip-flops. Literally anything. <laughs> okay. So now it's time for the post-content content. content. <laughs> So then it was confirmed that it was Thanos, except yes. he looked a little more maroon than purple here. And I thought that that was interesting. So Scarlet it was maroon. So I wrote down the quote, 
they are unruly and therefore cannot be ruled. <laughs> Isn't that what unruly means? Literally. <laughs> That's, I mean, at least he has the definition of it. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I know what word I'm saying. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> And in a May 2012 interview, Whedon said that it was his decision to include Thanos in a post credit scene, although the character is not identified in the film. Quote, He, for me, is the most powerful and fascinating Marvel villain. He's the great granddaddy of the badasses, and he's in love with death, and I just think that's so cute. <laughs> for me, the greatest Avengers comic book was Avengers Annual Number no. 7, 1977, that Jim Starlin did, followed by Marvel 2-in-1 Annual Number no. 2, 1977, that contained the death of Adam Warlock. Those were some of the most important texts and I think underrated milestones in Marvel history, and Thanos is all over that. So somebody had to be in control and had to be behind Loki's work, and I was like, it's gotta be Thanos. And they said, okay, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> it is funny wait okay so but then he wasn't thinking that far out then he was just like no I just want to put Thanos in it yeah I don't know that any of them were thinking that far out because this was they weren't sure if this was gonna work yeah so I guess they just kind of were putting whatever Easter eggs they could in and then just going off of whatever they were allowed to work with after that. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Oh, let me do it. Let me do it. I never get to do it. <laughs> yeah! I forgot the air horn. I was so excited to say it. You did it. <laughs> I did it. I loved the silent shawarma dinner. <laughs> Yes, I was like, my note here, I know, I know we said we were going to stop saying that, but my note here is, what is shawarma? Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Just for me to remember to look it up. Would you like me to read it to you? I mean, I know what shawarma is, but sure. <laughs> oh, well, for anyone who doesn't know, like me... Shawarma is a popular Middle Eastern dish that originated in the Ottoman Empire, consisting of meat cut into thin slices, stacked in an inverted cone, and roasted on a slowly turning vertical rotisserie or spit. Traditionally made with lamb or mutton, it may also be made with chicken, turkey, beef, or veal. <laughs> I love shawarma. I, I first had shawarma because of this movie. Like I, We went and found a shawarma place directly after seeing this movie in theaters. Shawarma, like, sales for shawarma went up. So you were part of that. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was part of history, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, I'm from a small town, so there were no shawarma places for me to <laughs> go to. There happened to be, um, so in the neighborhood that I grew up in, there was this one little restaurant that was just at the entrance of the of the neighborhood and it would like it, it would swap ownership every like five years or so and when uh when this movie came out it had just gotten taken over by this lady that i actually knew from church um and mm -hmm. they had turned it into like a greek and lebanese restaurant 
And so they happened to have shawarma there. <laughs> so that was That's the first That's weird because it's a Middle Eastern dish, not Greek. It's uh, not Mediterranean. So Greek and Lebanese tend, those like cuisines tend to get um, like fusioned together into restaurants a lot. Okay. I don't know why, but yeah. Got it. I feel like just them eating silently, I could watch hours of that. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, just like the like shell shocked, like, oh, so good. Yeah. <laughs> so, an additional coda involving the Avengers eating shawarma was shot on April 12th, 2012, a day after the world premiere. Oh. Evans wore a prosthetic jaw while filming the scene to cover the beard he had grown. <laughs> Shawarma sales in Los Angeles, St. Louis, and Boston reportedly skyrocketed in the days following the film's release. (laughs) Whedon stated the inspiration for the shawarma scene came from the events surrounding the filming of the scene where Fred dies in Wesley's arms in the Angel episode, A Hole in the World. Interesting. After filming the scene, Whedon and actors Amy Acker and Denisoff, who portrayed Fred and Wesley respectively, went out for drinks and ended up just sitting around quietly, exhausted from the day's events, which Whedon then mimicked in the scene for the film. (laughs) That's so weird, but I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's all I got. Okay. And then I've got some stray fun facts. Lay them on me. So the film grossed over $1.5 billion worldwide, setting numerous box office records and becoming the third highest grossing film of all time at the time of its release and the highest grossing film of 2012, as well as the first Marvel production to generate $1 billion in ticket sales. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. Robert Downey Jr. earned $50 million from the film once box office bonuses and back-end compensation were factored in. Chris Evans earned two to three million dollars for the film. Mark Ruffalo earned two to three million dollars for the film. Scarlett Johansson earned four to six million dollars for the film. Jeremy Renner earned two to three million dollars for the film, and Samuel L. Jackson earned four to six million dollars for the film. Interesting how that was uh, broken up there. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. That's all. Cool. Well. I liked it. Thought it was a good movie. <laughs> Same. I, I think it still holds up. Yeah. I love when a when a movie can transcend its writer, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, well that's all we that's got. That's all folks. Okay, bye. See you in the next one. Bye. bye.